TC, where were you? Anyway, we got this one done. Could be the start of many, many more. But anyway, thank you for your support always. Hope you're smiling. Always thinking of you over those pressure puts. And uh, let's crack on. See you soon, mate. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the No Laying Up podcast. I am your host, Kevin Van Valkenburg. Uh, if you are just getting word here, uh, I am running the ship for the next couple weeks here. I am what we like to think of as the designated survivor while the boys are off on tourist sauce. Uh, if you don't know where tourist sauce is yet, you should just kind of tune into our uh, NLU socials. I think the location will be popping up soon enough. Uh, you know, designated survivor, if you're not aware of what that is, I think your, your history or your government teacher probably failed you a little bit. Uh, that's the sort of cabinet member who is uh, supposed to stay behind during the State of the Union and uh, not attend just in case something tragic happens. Uh, I hope, we're definitely going to hope that nothing tragic happens. But, uh, you know, I'd like to think of it maybe uh, just kind of filling in as a guest instead of, you know, sort of the waiting around for bad shit to happen. Kind of like Maybe like the Dukes of Hazard when Coy and Vance Duke like filled in for Bo and Luke, and so uh, I decided to call in one of my my best you know possible Dukes out there, Mister Shane Bacon. Uh, Shane, how are you this this good day? I'm I'm doing great. Uh, a little cold. I got to be honest with you up here. I know it's cold pretty much everywhere in the country. Might not be cold where the boys are going. I'll just say that. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. chilly where I exist right now. And um, I was like trying to get my son into three layers this morning. He was not happy about that. But uh, I'm I'm good to go. Hey, do you know? Do they do they put out who the designated survivor, whatever the term is? Do they put that out into the ether, or is that hidden information? They do. It's usually like the Secretary of Agriculture or something, okay. you know, something kind of out there. Uh, I think there's like a show. Uh, I've never seen it where the like Kiefer Sutherland is like the, you know, the second like Secretary of Education. Okay, okay. And then the, there's a big terrorist attack and then he becomes the president and is running the show. So uh, who knows? Maybe that's the only way we'll ever get a president who's not like 78 years old. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> let's ju- you know what? Hey, if we can jump into politics early in the pod, I think the NLU, uh, the other NLU boys will be really happy with our existence. So that's the smart way to go, I think. Uh, Shane, some results from around the world of golf, uh, today. Uh, you know, as if you if you were caught up in football last night and you didn't actually pay attention, Grayson Murray wins the uh Sony Open in a three way playoff over Keegan Bradley and Ben On. And then out in Dubai, our own our own guy, Tommy Fleetwood, uh, as you might have heard in the intro, called TC up to sort of crow about having won. Uh, TC was of not in Dubai, of course. I can I can testify to the fact that Tourist Sauce is not headed to Dubai. Uh, but Tommy Crash Fleetwood wins, <laughs> wins. Birdie's the last two to beat Rory McIlroy. So, you know, I want to start with the Sony Open uh, because I think a lot of craziness kind of went down in that last hour. Uh, Grayson Murray... Uh, Birdie's the first hole in the playoff. I think you and I thought that we were going to be up until midnight, basically uh, unable to to get going because that playoff was going to drag on. And then all of a sudden, you know, a total switcheroo situation. Uh, you know, Keegan Bradley hits it up into the grandstands, uh, gets a drop, hits a shitty chip. Ben on hits it close to the green, hits a, a good chip. 
Uh, and then Grayson, you know, rolls in a bomb, probably 40 footer. And then Ben on misses a shorty. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, I guess that happened. Uh, what's What was your takeaway of just watching that all unfold? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think there's times when you're consuming a sport and you're expecting to be sitting around for longer. I mean, you know, I think about the, and I don't want to bring this up for Cowboy fans, but I think about the Romo hold, you know, where you're like, mm-hmm. okay, I got to go refill my drink. I got to prep myself for another half hour of football. And then that's that situation happens. You're like, oh, this thing's ending. It's not going to continue on. I felt a little like that in the Sony. You know, you're kind of going, you're looking at it, you're thinking about the results. I'm one of those people that always roots for playoffs, like no matter yeah. if I have skin in the game or not. I just like seeing sports extended. And uh, even if that means you're going to be recording it, you know, 10, 30, 11 p.m. at night, that's okay. And uh, I think I sent you a text like, here we go. We're going to be doing this for much longer. And then. Uh, mm-hmm. The putt goes in for Grayson, you know, and then Ben on doesn't touch the hole. So it was, yeah. it was another great example of why sports aren't written until it's over. Because I think yep. you and I probably had penciled in Keegan to win it in regulation. That obviously didn't happen. Then we penciled Ben on to win and playoff. That obviously doesn't happen. And then of those three names, it's the guy that we didn't pencil in at all that ends up winning. And I mean, Grayson has been over the last six, eight months, and I know this has been floating around on social, the whole exchange with Roy McIlroy at the players meeting about, hey, Grayson, play better, you know, and they kind of went after it a little bit. And I think it was at least the way it was reported. I think they were kind of into the exchange. I don't think it was like Mm -hmm. really menacing between the two guys. But this Mm -hmm. dude has played great golf. I mean, he won the Simmons Bank. I was doing that uh, for Corn Ferry Tour, birdied four of his last five holes there on the Corn Ferry Tour late in the season, couple wins last year, and then, you know, picks up a second PJ Tour win, uh, Pretty impressive stuff considering the way he closed the the regulation hole out in 18 and then obviously with that long putt uh, in the playoff. I, I don't think anybody's ever doubted Grayson's talent. I mean, this is a dude who was a really good player uh, when he was very young. You know, got that first win early and everybody kind of thought like, oh, maybe this guy is, is going to be the deal. And, and really then became more known for his social media griping. It's funny to think about in that playoff, I was thinking about, oh, you know, he and Ben on actually had a thing yeah, back yeah, yeah. in the, you know, going at each other on Twitter about Grayson basically saying the European tour was was garbage. And, you know, and basically saying all the all the PC people are going to, you know, drive me off Twitter really. um you know, struggled, I guess, with his place in the game. I agree. I think that uh, I'm happy to give Rory credit for Ben On's, uh, you know, for uh, for Grayson's performance this week. You know, maybe motivated him just enough. But I, you're right. I think that that was seen as sort of a sick burn, and I think that they were basically just kind of ribbing each other a little bit. Uh, you know, I look. I think we can sort of drill down on a lot of the stuff. You, you hear the narrative over and over. Oh, like he's decided to give up alcohol. I do think that's important to sort of share. I, I have to imagine. That that's going to like be the thing that's kind of you know Grayson's storyline over and over and over again. And I wonder, it's hard, got to be hard sometimes for some of these tour players to share something vulnerable and then have it become like their entire narrative. It's who they, it's who they but, become. I mean, it's brought up consistently and constantly. I mean, I think about even the Wyndham Clark story last year at the U.S. Mm-hmm. Open, right? And I mean, it seemed like when there was a lull in the conversation. Oh, let's let's bring up obviously you know a tragedy with this family, right? And then I feel like that just becomes who you are. If you have anything to attach yourself to, I wonder is it there's not a lot on the player, so you lean into that, or yeah. is it do we need to do a little bit more research and homework on who these guys and girls really are? I'm wondering mm-hmm. where that lands because 
I don't feel like it happens as much in other sports, KVV. I mean, you've covered plenty of sports in your days. I know we will bring things up at times, but it's not exactly who they are if they've given up alcohol or if they've you know, had tragedy in their lives. It's not exactly who they are. I remember I did a podcast after Nate Lashley won a few years ago with Nate, and I intentionally didn't talk about the family tragedy with him because I know he has to answer those questions in every interview mm-hmm. he does, right? I wanted to just talk about some of the other stuff, who Nate is, his time at Arizona, things like that. And it was like, I know he gets these questions at every press conference he goes to, so maybe avoid it. It feels like mm-hmm. right now with Chris Kirk and now Grayson, that's what is talked about with these players, you know? Mm-hmm. It's funny because I was uh, covering the Ravens when Michael Orr got drafted. And every single time, like a media person from outside of Baltimore would come to town, it would be like, hey, man, can, like we talk about the blind side. And you could tell like he was willing to play along in the beginning for the local media. And then it was like, oh, man, like I, I got to talk about this again. And then as real recent stuff has come out, like it was obvious like that that story was a lot more complicated right, right. than it made it seem. And so, you know, I'm I'm happy for. I guess Grayson, he has been a, a controversial figure to say the least. But I do think it it struck me as interesting, Shane, thinking last night about think about all the guys who are sort of the rogue, the black hat, who left and went to live. You know, in some ways, like it was surprising that Grayson wasn't one of those, yep. considering sort of his reputation. And now, like Grayson could play like a really valuable role for the PGA Tour going forward. Like if you are, if Grayson's going to be like a more consistent player. You could either root for Grayson and you could say, like, I accept that this is a you know a redemption story. Or you could basically say, I don't buy this change and I think he's still kind of a jerk and I want to root against him. And that's a super important kind of narrative to have on your tour instead of like, everybody's a great guy, man. We love watching everybody shake hands and laugh together. Yeah, I mean, like you think about what we saw in the DP World Tour, right? And it's like Fleetwood and Rory. And it almost felt like at the end, Rory is rooting on Tommy Fleetwood. And you read some of the quotes mm-hmm. after, I mean, how close they are, how important Rory has been to Tommy Fleetwood's success. He talked about that a bit after the victory. And to your point, I'm trying to think of players that are currently on the PGA Tour that might have skeletons, that might have demons, that might have issues, quote unquote, in their past that might bring up, like you said, a bit of a heel in who they are or their character. And they're not a lot on the list. It's hard to kind of even find one. And so if that's who Grayson is, I'll say this, dude, as we get older. There are mm-hmm. stuff people cut out in their lives and there's stuff that we understand don't work, right? I mean, digestively, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, you might be, I'm not a milk guy anymore. You know, I drink almond yeah. milk. There are things that yeah. you have to make changes to personally about yourself. I feel like for Grayson, the alcohol stories talked about, he, he was not a Twitter guy. Twitter's not great for Grayson right. Murray. And the fact no, that he <laughs> deleted that and took, took it away from his phone and he's not into it anymore. I mean, it was emotional. I felt like after the the putt went in and obviously the Venon miss, I thought that moment with his fiance was beautiful. I mean, just you could just see it was two people just sharing silence. You know, they've probably talked about this moment a hundred times and they just had a moment together. And it was a little bit more elongated than I feel like we see usually when the wives or fiancés come on the green. I actually thought it was a great moment between Grayson and his fiance. And then what he talked about, I mean, this is a guy that needed to make changes in his life and he understood it. And I mean, it's not easy to do. It's not easy to yeah. make changes in a, as an adult. Grayson's a 30-year-old man, but he has obviously made some changes to, you know, further who he is more importantly than furthering his career. And he talked about that after. He said, you know, I mean, this isn't about my golf. This is great for my career. But for me as a person, there's way more important things going on. Yeah, I have a quote here. I think it was pretty good. I want to read it. Just He said, a lot of hard work pays off. It's not easy. And I wanted to give up on myself, on the game of golf, on life at times. And you just persevere. 
When you get tired of fighting, let someone else fight for you. It's a lot for my career, but I knew today wasn't going to change my life. My fiance, she changed my life, but not this. So I think it's pretty vulnerable. Like I think if it's a if beautiful thing to say. I mean, that's a beautiful. Yeah. I mean, you and I listen. I'd say this, KVV. You and I. I mean, I know you personally. I know you well. Like your wife changed your life for the better. For sure. And the same can Absolutely. be said. Like my wife makes my life better. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. be having her as a person in my life and as a partner has improved what I exist in. The bubble, the world I live in is better. And it sounds like mm-hmm. Grayson lives in that same vein. And I always say this, like that's all I hope happens to anybody I know in, in my sphere, right? Is like, can you find a partner, you make their life better and they make your life better. And if that's the case, then you guys are going to have a good life. And I feel like that's what, at least what it sounds like from Grayson Murray. And I'll say this, dude, it's easy to bag on the guy. It's easy to bring up all of the negatives, you know, in the course of his career up until this point, up until the last year, year and a half, two years. I find myself rooting for Grayson Murray. I, I found myself mm-hmm. kind of behind the scenes rooting for him at the Simmons Bank when Nitties and I were calling that action because, again, it feels like true redemption, right? This doesn't seem like, you know, it's a journalist getting a couple of quotes and running with them. It seems like a dude that really wanted to make changes in his life. So I find myself mm-hmm. rooting for anybody that's trying to make themselves better. And it feels like Grayson's trying to do that. Hey, Amen. Uh, we'll see. You know, hopefully it sticks. And if it doesn't, you know what? You're welcome to root against exactly, Grayson. That's exactly too. right. Like, that's, that's what that's makes exactly sports right. great. But that's what makes life great, dude. I'd, I'd go, ex- I'd expand it past sport, right? I mean, I'm sure you've got friends in your life that have had yeah. to change things about themselves. And you kind of sit back and you talk to your significant other, your best friend, and you go, I hope it sticks. But like, that's yep. all we can do is hope that people get better. And if they do get better, then it's a win for everybody. I was, I, I listen, I'm sure you've seen this floating around, but there was a Nick Saban clip that has kind of gone viral. It's a couple of minute clip. He was asked about a player that he'd had to deal with. I think that had gone through some issues. And basically the question from a journalist was about, you know, why do you bring it back? Or, you know, what are you going to do with this person's character? And Saban like stopped the interview. And he mm-hmm. was like, let me talk for a minute. Let me, let me get, a, let me get, a, you know, on the, on the soapbox for a couple of minutes and, and talk about what I see in young people. And now he's talking about 19, 20 year olds, not a 30 year old player, but I still think 30 is extremely young, especially for men. I mean, it takes us yeah. a long time to grow up, but Saban's point was when people screw up, society seems to go, that's who you are. We're done with you. The end period. And Saban yeah. was thinking to himself, why, why do we do that to people? Why not give them an opportunity to come into a better situation or to improve on themselves? And wouldn't you rather see somebody improve versus basically burn out and fail? And I thought the clip was great. The more clips I see KVV of Saban being honest and talking about this stuff, the more I like him as a human being. I can't believe I'm saying yeah. that as he's yeah, obviously walked away from football. But, I mean, obviously great coaches have a way of, you know, looking past some of the bullshit and trying mm-hmm. to see good in whoever you are and whatever you do. And I almost feel like if you ask Saban today, what are your thoughts on Grayson Murray over the last year? He'd probably have glowing things to say. So uh, yeah. it was, it was interesting to watch. And I hope, like you said, it sticks. Yeah. I, you know, I had a chance to interview Saban one-on-one a couple of years ago for an ESPN, the magazine story. And we talked about some of those similar themes. Uh, I think it was Mushin Muhammad who he was talking about back in the Michigan okay. state who he sort of had, you know, everybody wanted him kicked out of school and Saban was like, you know what, you know what, I'm going to take the heat for this. I'm going to keep him around. I'm going to basically say, like, I'm going to help this kid be better. And then he was like, you know, in his speech, he kind of said, now that guy, you know, he's all pro, he's a father, you know, it's a business. He's like, all that could have been different if I would have sort of given in and changed to, you know, basically like been willing to 
you know, feed the the angry people who are like, this guy doesn't serve a spot on the team. And I think structure for people who struggle is certainly like really important. And, you know, it's a great kind of point about, you know, if if Graven Grayson had been sort of booted out of golf, would he have turned out to sort of, you know, hopefully turned his life in a different direction? Like, I think the chances are much lower that he would have. And so, you know, I remember Grayson, you know, on one of his Twitter rants kind of being frustrated at the PGA Tour, basically saying, you know, I, I'm an alcoholic, I have a problem, and the PGA Tour didn't give a shit about me. Yeah. If, and Phil Mickelson, of all people, was like, you know, I'm sorry that that happened, and I would, I'd love to talk to you, and I'd love to help you. And, you know, like, we've shit on Phil a lot, and Phil's has certainly, like, earned his reputation as being a polarizing person in the game. But that was a pretty cool moment. I don't think that was disingenuous by Phil. I think he really did care and was like, you know what, there should be structures in place, there should be, you know, attempts to kind of help people who are struggling because it's freaking hard to be a professional golfer like the, the the world that you live in you know chris kirk talked a lot about that on our podcast like you miss a cut you go back to your hotel room you're full of anxiety you're full of doubt and you know the easiest way to turn your brain off for a little while is to have a few drinks totally. and you know that might help for a little while it might help for a month might help for six months but man it is not a good long-term solution and i can't tell you how many people i've had in my life who you know kids from high school kids i went to college with who were just like, you know, used to be like good time Charlie's and now are like, hey, man, like I just don't drink anymore. Like I n- nothing on you. Like it's you ha- you're welcome to sort of have a drink in front of me, but it's not me anymore. I just can't do it. It's better for me to sort of steer my way out of that. And I'm always like, man, that is I'm really proud of those people because that is not a not an easy decision. Yeah, I mean, I mean, KVV, I haven't drank it for years. I mean, I, I stopped drinking yeah. when my son was six, seven months old. I mean, it just again, it was kind of that looking at yourself and who you want to be and who you want to be as a father and things like that. And it's like, it just didn't, it wasn't jiving well with where I sat. And I was like, Mm -hmm. this isn't probably something I want to keep doing. Let's take a break and see how it goes. And it's been four years and I can guarantee you this, uh, me as a human being is better off without it. And I love drinking. I love drinking. I loved having fun. You and I've had plenty of nights where we stayed up well (laughs) past our bedtime, you know, having cocktails around a fire. Do I miss those days? Sure. I miss, it, but the one thing I have learned, and if anybody's ever going through this, I'm going to say this. First of all, it is way easier in 2024 to not drink. The non-alcoholic yeah. options out there, like things like Athletic, absolutely. Brewing, it's like absolutely they, they're like true IPAs. I mean, Guinness has an <laughs> NA now that's unbelievable. Corona's got one. I mean, these are all unpaid sponsorships, but I mean, these beer companies all have options out there. There's non-alcoholic wine now. I know there's some mixers and, and non-alcoholic alcohol out there as well. But it's also not nearly as scary as you think it's going to be. People, the the yeah. the most insecure I think you get as someone that used to drink and stops drinking is when you go out, you think people care. And it's important right. to understand that nobody cares. The only people that truly care are the people that are extremely insecure with themselves or potentially totally. think they might have an issue. Why are you not drinking? Why don't you have a beer? You want a shot? Is everything okay? Like, I remember I stopped drinking in November. My big buddy's trip, KVV, is January. And I remember Mm -hmm. being really um, anxious and and really uncomfortable going into that. And I remember at the end of it, I went home. My wife's like, how'd it go? I'm like, nobody cared. Literally, like, a couple (laughs) buddies are like, you're not drinking? I'm like, no, I'm not drinking. They're like, all right, cool, man. And they, like, order a beer, right? Like, they don't care. And I'm seeing more of my buddies go this way as we've gotten older. Maybe it's a health thing. Maybe it's just not wanting to feel like crap in the morning when they've got work or they've got young kids. But it is, if you're thinking about potentially giving it up in any capacity, if it's drinking, if it's drugs, if it's cigarettes, if it's whatever, just understand that the most insecure person in the situation is going to be you. 
And everybody else that's involved isn't going to care nearly as much as you think they're going to care. So a uh, shout out to Kirk, shout out to Grayson, shout out to anybody out there that decides to take a hiatus on these things. Cause um, it's not easy, but I guarantee you, if you're thinking it, it's probably going to be better if you stop. For sure. Uh, you know, speaking of people who gave stuff up, Keegan Bradley has certainly turned around his game uh, for, you know, giving up basically sugar and carbs and everything. And, and this kind of, crazy diet i don't know i don't really want to focus on that because i feel like that's sort of been covered but you know keegan playing pretty well uh i, I you know i think we both thought that he was going to sort of win there i've it's funny you know this is the first time i've hosted the the podcast solo i've always been a pro keegan guy I, you know candidly the rest of my colleagues are are not particularly pro keegan uh keegan has sort of rubbed them the wrong way and we always kind of joke about how uh you know i'm i'm the lone sort of voice in the pro keegan contingent and now if I was really hoping he could win, because you know, there's no way that like TC and Solly could like, rip the controls out of the back of the computer to let me uh, on my Keegan situation. Yeah, exactly. He kind of kind of let me down a little bit in the, that chip there. Uh, you know, I look. I really wanted Keegan on the Ryder Cup team. Uh, Solly and I had a good sort of back and forth on so a couple of our Ryder Cup pods about you know, look like you can tell me that like this strokes gain and that wasn't quite working, or maybe he didn't play all that well in the the one Ryder Cup at Medina when they sort of fell apart. But, you know, he, I he could care so much about the Ryder Cup. I was basically like sitting on my couch thinking, like, oh, man, this is it. This is the first step to Beth Page. And then he kind of just fans that, you know, hybrid into the stands late. Uh, you know, he had, he had a chance to win in regulation with a putt on 18. But then, you know, really that chip. Shane, I've hit that chip before. You got to, you know, you got to carry that little ridge there. You just catch it a little too heavy. It's a hard shot to pull off under pressure, right? It's grainy. You know, the leading edge wants to dig so bad and you've got to avoid the dig. Mm -hmm. So you either want to intentionally hit it a little bit thin, right? And carry it a little deeper. Or you kind of do what Keegan did and not quite catch all all the ball. And, And the thing is like the bent on chip shot. There was so much room for error right out of the rough. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had green to work yeah. with. If that had been short-sighted, it would have been a brutal shot, but he had a lot of green to work with. So bid on shot was much easier. Keegan's over there, takes the drop, gets that grainy lie, and he's still trying to kind of back foot, you know, drive that shot low in with some spin, and he just didn't hit a very good golf shot over there. And, you know, all of a sudden you leave yourself 25 feet, and you're not the champ. But, the, I mean, the he had the chance of regulation. Like, Keegan had the opportunity to win there in regulation, wasn't able to get it done, and – uh you know, it's so hard, dude. Like, golf is so weird in the sense that Grayson Murray is going to leave the Sony with a, with 10 times the confidence he came in. I think he was 350 to 1 to win. That's what mm-hmm. the number I saw yeah. headed into the week. Yeah. And you think about the dudes that lost in a playoff. Ben On's going to be thinking about the four-footer for, I don't know, next two years of his life. And then Keegan, I wonder if – do you think he's walking away optimistic about what happened? Or do you think he's walking away bummed out that he wasn't able to get it done? I think bummed out. I think at this point in his you. career, he he knows that wins are what matters. And I think he knows, too, that he has to stack up wins over the next two years to get back to that Ryder Cup. Like, I obviously, Keegan would love to win a major, but I do think that the Ryder Cup stuff with him is very genuine, that, that he really, truly wants to, you know, be on that Ryder Cup team and be a part of something bigger than himself. I, you know, we made jokes about the suitcase and, oh, he hasn't unpacked it or whatever. I thought it was like kind of really on an honest moment when he actually was like, yep, I still haven't unpacked the suitcase. It's literally been sitting in my garage. Uh, and I was like, oh, damn, like this isn't maybe this isn't quite as funny as I thought. I kind of thought maybe, oh, yeah, they definitely unpacked that suitcase. Nope, that baby is just sitting in Keegan's garage, uh, probably has moved a couple houses, you know, by now. I mean, I don't know. I just can't help but pull from him. I, you know, I've told the story a number of times before when my 
when my ex-wife was pregnant with our second child, it was right around the time that Keegan won the PGA. And I was like, man, Keegan's a really cool name. Like, you know, what if we, we didn't know whether it's going to be a girl or boy. And I was like, what if we, you know, named our, our kid Keegan? And she was like, yeah, I like, kind of really like that. Like if it's a boy or girl, like you never know. And you know, turned out to be a girl and we were like, you know what? Keegan really fits. And I'll tell you like my Keegan, she loves her name. Like she just absolutely is like, Nope, I don't want to be named anything else. Like I asked her a couple of times. Do you ever wish you had like a more girly name? Nope, not one bit. And so whenever he's like on TV, she's like, am I named after him? I'm like, no, no, definitely not named after <laughs> him. She's not listening uh, to the pod, but, <laughs> but it, got, it got in my yeah. head. It got in my head. That's right. Yeah. Dude. I did say that. I did say that to him once. I was like, uh, you know, Hey, you know, I, I've, uh, my daughter's named Keegan and, uh, you know, it's kind of right around the time you won the PGA and, and, you know, I hope this isn't weird. And he was like, yeah, I get that all the time. Like I, a lot of people say that to me. <laughs> I was like, Oh, okay, cool. Like uh, that's fine. Dude, He's uh, he's so. 16th in the, I don't know if we still talk about world rankings, but he's 16th in the world rankings right now. KVV. I mean, that is not something to bat your eye at. I mean, that's pretty nope. for what he has done over the last mm -hmm. year and a half. And when you look at his results, it is extremely, extremely consistent. And I know, like yeah. you said, he'd rather pick up some victories, but I hope that come Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whatever the case may be, I hope Keegan is looking back on the Sony and saying, okay, another great finish, played great golf, yeah. hit some great shots, had a real good chance to win because, you know, I mean, Keegan has batted his eye at another major over the last couple of years. And it'd be very interesting if he keeps this rolling, what he could do as we get closer to, I don't know if he's a fit for Augusta, but as we get closer to, PGA mm -hmm. and, and US Open, where I think he might have better success or better chance of success. Uh, I'd be interested to see what Keegan can do in the big ones. I, I can see Valhalla being a good fit for, for his game. You know, just uh, it's, I mean, I'm sure oh, Rory's going to be the whole story when we come back to Valhalla. No, and, no, no, uh, no. no, 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 no people don't love to talk about Rory and Majors. Let, let, no, that doesn't seem no. like that. That seems like it'd be way <laughs> off. <laughs> uh let, let's talk a little bit about ben on uh, ben on obviously playing some golf yep. uh this year fourth at the sony uh comes out here and, and really you know I, I don't think much throughout sunday that people were thinking he was going to win but makes an incredible eagle uh, absolutely just stripes a three iron in regulation uh to you know have a chance there to to win outright makes a birdie uh you know just barely misses that eagle putt and then hits a great drive uh, on 18 in the playoff. And I kind of thought like, man, it, it was like shocking to hear that Ben Ion does not have a fairway wood I love in his bag. This. I love uh, this. Because he just hits nukes. And so, you know, he had one iron. You know, I got, it's got to be, I know that Doug Ferguson is a, the AP reporter has been around the golf beat forever, is a, a evangelist for the one iron. Uh, still carries one iron in his bag. It's like the club he hits best. And he always tries to keep track of, you know, the one iron's gone. It's basically off the tour. But awesome to see Ben on bringing it back. Uh, you know, Ben on hits the shit out yeah, of the yeah, ball. Yeah, I mean, sure. he just, he pounds it uh, big time. I'd be remiss, though, if I didn't sort of bring this up. Like, it is a little bit strange to, you know, Ben on was suspended last year yep. for four months for, you know, testing positive for a banned substance. He said that it, you know, came from some cough syrup that he, over-the-counter cough syrup that he got in his sort of native Korea and I think people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, like that's that's understandable. Like, you know, who knows what's going on over there at the pharmacies in Korea uh, is a sort of Americanized view of things. I do feel like a little bit, though, that if a, in another sport, if a player tested positive for PEDs and then came back and was still a guy who was like nuking the shit yeah. out of the ball, <laughs> people might be like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What's going on here? Are we sure this was cough syrup? Like I look, I don't really I'm not one of these like 
PED evangelist and, and sort of I, I think Barry Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame. I think Manny Ramirez should be in the Hall of Fame. But I do think it is a little bit strange how in golf we're kind of just like, oh, yeah, no big deal. Like, you know, I mean, if that was Tiger, would people like or Rory, would people make it a big deal? Like, yeah, you bet your ass they would. So I don't know. Should we do a little bit more digging on a Ben on type situation or is it just kind of accept that that his you know, it's truly a cough syrup situation. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the tour wants zero drama with the players that are on their tour, right? So, I mean, mm -hmm. they obviously suspended them. I think that that ended the early December of this past year, and they just were like, let's not bring this up, and let's try not to talk about this, and let's avoid it. And, I mean, you know, I don't know how much digging they do into this stuff. I mean, do they do they dive deep? The only, What's so wild is, to your point about, like if it was Rory or Tiger. I mean, the only mm -hmm. other instance of this happening that I think most people remember is VJ. And I think the only reason people think about it is because the absurdity of the term, right? Deer antler yeah. spray Deer antler is spray. just <laughs> insanity when you think about it. Like, what the hell does that even mean? I think that's the reason that was popularized, not because it was VJ Singh. I think it was because yeah. people are like, Deer antler spray, is that like from deer antlers, right? I mean, golf just doesn't really deal with this much, right? I mean, who knows how often this is popping up and drug tests are, are providing any sort of information when players have to go through that, but we don't hear much about it. And when we do hear about it, I don't feel like it's brought up more than this player suspended for X, Y, and Z, you know? Yeah. Well, in the in the positive side, Ben on obviously has found a little bit of something with that long putter. Uh, you know, dude, his career these, is so wild, KBV. It is I mean, wild. like oh yeah. nine amateur, you know, and everybody's like, oh crap, this dude is talented. And then it's just yeah. like he randomly pops up. You know, he wins yep. on the challenge tour and then he wins a big event in Europe in 2015. Haven't seen him do a ton on the PGA tour. Now 0-3 in his career in playoffs, which again, when you mm -hmm. think about like who are you as a player you know you go zero and three and then you start to kind of you start to at least enter Crenshawville you know in terms of mm -hmm. the playoff world so it's just it's a weird it's a weird career I'd say for Ben mm -hmm. on to this point major yeah. success has been brutal I don't think he has a top 10 in a major considering how complete it feels like the bag is um so I think the question right now is who has been on right like who are you yeah. as a player and who are you going to be he always he does make me laugh he kind of won me over you know that uh sam harrop the guy who yeah, writes yeah. the piano yeah, sort yeah, of parodies yeah. of stuff you know he wrote a, a sort of tune to penny lane of like benny on he puts like he's got no eyes <laughs> and and ben on like retweeted it and was like this is good like you're you're dead on on this and i was like man that's awesome you you love to see it when players are willing to make fun of themselves uh especially like in our weird anytime a actual player enters the weird morass of golf twitter I'm like, man, credit to you. Uh, and not in like a like shit talking way, like Grayson did it, but like you know, you're participating. You know, sort of Michael Kim, Max Homa kind. Yeah, of I mean, you so. you mess up and you make bad swings. Like Dak saying mm -hmm. that after the Cowboys game, like I suck tonight. I always appreciate when athletes do that because so many athletes will push it off on whomever else, and I think that's part of mm -hmm. being a great athlete. I think you don't actually look at yourself negatively in any capacity, at least openly. You don't say. I was terrible tonight. You don't hear that a lot from great players. Yeah. And for Dak to stand in front of the podium and go, I, cause he did suck. Like he sucked in that Cowboys game, but to stand up yeah. there and say, I sucked. And I'm the reason we lost and don't blame Mike and don't blame X, Y, and Z blame me. I always very impressed when athletes do that because it's so easy to not. This episode is brought to you by Titleist and the tour proven Titleist TSR drivers. For the last five seasons, the most played driver on the PG tour has been a Titleist. And while the favorite driver model amongst tour pros is the Titleist TSR3, 
The key to greater distance and accuracy looks different for every player. Whether you need to improve your spin control, launch angle, or impact point, a Titleist fitter can configure a TSR driver that delivers exactly what you need. Head over to Titleist.com and try their new driver selector tool, which will provide you a recommended TSR driver model, loft, and shaft based on your game, your current gear, and your performance goals. Then connect with a Titleist fitting professional to expertly dial in your perfect fit. As TC likes to say, after your TSR fitting, you feel like you're playing offense. I can attest to this personally. I used to be a big driver off the rack guy, but when I joined NLU and got fit by my guy Nick Geyer, I've been playing a TSR 3 for close to a year now. It's really the most comfortable I've ever felt. The first hole in my club is like this nice little gentle handshake, a drivable par 4 that's about 300 yards, and a couple months ago, I drove that green for the first time. Now, did I make the eagle putt? No, I did not. But I did make a birdie, and I feel like that's a sign of things to come in 2024. It's going to be a year of playing some better golf. So head over to Titleist.com and get fit. All right, back to our show. Yep. Uh, all right, so speaking of golf Twitter, uh, in the midst of the NFL stuff, the, the one thing that could sort of capture uh, golf Twitter's attention during an NFL playoff game is the TIO situation that oh, yeah. occurred with Carl Yuan uh, late in the game. Honestly, Shane, now this is one of the most egregious TIO situations I think I can remember. I know that like in the midst of my guys flying over the ocean, uh, that they were, you know, watching this on the headsets and, and Solly of all, you know, was livid. TC was livid. They wanted me to, to make sure and express like how fucking uh, like absurd the situation was. If you missed it, uh, Carly one, uh, he's comes to the 18th hole, hits his drive into, in a bunker. He's going for the green and two just kind of hammers. I mean, Carl hits it a long way, uh, hammers it, uh, with a hybrid and the ball, in the broadcast, looks like it either hits on top of the grandstands uh, or the sort of hospitality there and bounces over or carries it in, in entirety. Uh, it definitely does not look like it goes inside the grandstands through the sort of window in the front there. There's a lot of confusion about like what's going on. Uh, you know, is he, he goes up there, kind of Ken Tackett, the rules official, comes over. You know, Hicks is confused. Is like asking, like, "Well, I don't know. What's we're not sure what." And, what's and, I, and KBB, is I, don't, I don't think they, I don't think they had a rules person in the booth, right? So, you know, no, normally a lot not. of the broadcasts will have rules officials in the booth, but I don't think they had one in the booth, so there was nobody to kind of bounce these questions off of, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So eventually, we get sort of, uh, you know, Todd Lewis kind of, I think, talks to Ken Taggett, and we get sort of a, a relayed report that. They're virtually certain that the ball has gone into the grandstand and that it has disappeared. They do not find the ball. So off of like one of the, the most horrendous like second shots you could imagine, uh, Carl gets a drop, you know, probably 60 yards from the green, uh, chips it up there and is able to make a par. It just seemed like kind of bonkers. It, it seemed crazy to me that Taylor Montgomery, who's one of his playing partners, was not like, yo, dude, like, seriously yep. i mean they they claimed that there were some people in the stands were like oh yeah like that thing was rattling around in here like i'm not quite sure the uh credibility of a bunch of people who've been you know drinking my ties for the entire day like sitting in the <laughs> the grandstands putting it on their, their corporate you can't ever or, trust sports fans that are on problem i mean they have no <laughs> no idea they don't know where anything is they don't know how far any ball goes like especially golf fans they've just the fact that like you ask any any average regular golf person how far any shot goes no clue they don't even know how far they hit it no yeah uh but we did learn the term virtually certain which is part of the model local rule i guess when you you know uh, our friend kyle porter tweeted it out uh rule f 23d 
You did not have to technically find your ball F23. to receive TIO relief as long as you are virtually certain that it disappeared into the stands. Uh, Shane, is there? there's a lot of things in my life that I could claim to be virtually certain about. I'm virtually certain that when my go- daughter is ready to go to school in the morning that she will not wear a coat and I will have to have like a tug-of-war yep. fight with her every morning. Uh, I'm virtually certain that, uh, you know, LeBron is going to sort of, you know, make it about himself occasionally here and there. You know, he's going to, I love LeBron, but I also love the way that he kind of courts drama. I'm virtually certain the Cowboys are going to shit the bed every year in the playoffs uh, and the Cowboy fans are going to completely forget like Groundhog Day, what happened the, the previous year and it's going to happen out all over again. Jay, what are you virtually certain of in your life? I, I'm I'm virtually certain when my kids are being quiet, it's they're up to no good. I know that. Yeah. Uh, my kids are loud. They're young. They make a lot of noise. If there's any moment where it's silent for more than five seconds, I'm virtually certain bad things are happening. Um, mm-hmm. I'm virtually certain we see Belichick coaching again. I'd say that. I think that's I think a good that's virtual certainty. Virtually yep. certain. I, I'll give you a golf one. I'm virtually mm-hmm. certain when you're looking for your golf ball and nobody's saying anything, it's not going to be found. I mean, I, I know yeah. that not to pile on Carl <laughs> and the crew there, but I know personally, it's like if everybody's looking around a lake and nobody's saying words, I'm virtually certain we're not finding that golf ball. That's for damn sure. I mean, you've played a lot of, uh, you know, like amateur competitive golf. I can't imagine this situation comes up too often. I mean, you don't have like giant grandstands no. in, in your way. Well, I mean, often, I, but, to, uh, to, to, like I, I, I will say this about Taylor Montgomery. I know you brought him up as like a playing partner. And this goes back to the players. I believe it was last year with Joel Damon, right? It is it is not easy as a competitor to want to bring up questions about a ruling, about a drop, about a line, Right. Because at the end of the day, it's not really on the competitor. Now, it's on you to, quote, unquote, protect the field. But golf is about you and you being honest and your morals and what you believe is true and not true. And I think when uh, when something pops up, I remember one time I was playing in an enormous golf tournament, probably one of the biggest events I ever played, and I just absolutely block shit this driver 50 yards left, going out of bounds for certain, no doubt about it. And I was playing like crap and it was just frustrating. And I re-tee a ball and I didn't, I didn't call provisional. I just, I was like, that ball's a hundred yards out of bounds. Right. And I remember I pipe one down the middle of the fairway with my provisional. And as we're walking up, my buddy who's caddying for me is looking over. He's like, yo, you're up over there because it, it had hit a roof of a house and kicked back oh, wow. in bounds. Right. And the guys <laughs> I was playing with are like, dude, you can play it. It's fine. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I know it's quote unquote fine. But it's just not the rules of golf. The rules of golf state, you've got to – do I think having to state provisional is absolutely insanity? Absolutely. But it's also a part of the rule of golf. And it's on me, not them, to say I'm not playing that ball. i got to take the provisional because I didn't announce it. And I think this is a similar situation. Like Taylor Montgomery's worried about Taylor Montgomery's world, right? And for him, having to go over and call out Carl Yuan – is something he probably doesn't want to do. And so I think it all falls on the shoulders of Carl and the rules officials there. And uh, golf is such a weird sport in that, in, in that, in that space, right? It's like such a strange sport that when it's all said and done, it's kind of on you versus it's on who you're playing with. Even if the person you're playing against is competing against you and competing for your money. 
Mm-hmm. Hey, look, when they break down the stands or whatever, I want that ball found. I want it. I want some discussion. He's so sick if it was it's, like at the bottom of the grandstands. They, it's, if, it's, hey, it's rattling around in the crudite yes, in there. If you it, break, it ended up behind the bar. You know? If you break the grandstands down at the Sony and you see that golf ball, please, for God's sakes, post it on Twitter and tag <laughs> us. Uh, well, I will say, I mean, look, it, to Taylor Montgomery, like, I, I don't want to shit on him because, frankly, like, it's Ken, Ken Taggett, too, who has to sort of make totally, that call. Totally, totally. And if he's sitting there saying that, the, well, look, the fans say that it rattled around in there. I mean, I don't know how, like, that's necessarily becomes part of the testimony, but obviously it is. I, you know, th- these people do this for the living. They they know the rules far better than I do. It just makes me laugh to think about, like, you know, I mean, I, you know, those like whiskey, like big pieces of ice, like a single, a big cube. You could just like throw one of those around in the stands or whatever and be like, oh, I think that was the ball. I, heard I think it. we're good. I heard you know, it. You know? yeah, somebody drops their uh, cell phone when the ball lands and people yeah, are like, oh, I heard, yeah. I heard, I heard it bang around in there. Where was this, you know, reasonable shit when Phil was trying to close out the virtual certainty when Phil was trying to close out uh, the uh, the U.S. Open at Wingfoot? I feel like that, you know, we could have been, oh yeah, the ball definitely was, uh, you know, it's right here. It's, I got a clear line to the green from here. It's, there's no way it's in that trash can. Hey, by the way, have you that. you've played have you played Wingfoot ever? I have yes. Okay. <laughs> have you ever walked over and looked where Phil hit that tee shot? Like just generalized like areas, yes. I mean, dude. Yes. It is like. 50 it's, yards left it's miles it is so yeah. far left it's on the other golf course literally yeah, almost on yeah. the other golf course it is so far left anyway yeah it's us uh, lefties can hit still, blocks uh, baby that's one of our that's one of our hey, things we all can do i mean the thing that honestly like shocks me when you stand on the back tee there is how like tiny oh that goodness. window looks like all those trees lining i mean it's like hitting it through like a bus terminal it's you know? way like, tighter oh, yeah, it's like, way tighter than 18 at augusta and you know like that yes i always one of my favorite sports illustrated covers ever was when tiger won the tiger slam and it was that yeah. picture of him teeing off on 18 and the shoot yep. right i don't know who robert that picture. Beck, yeah. that who it was mm-hmm. it was robert unreal Beck. photo and uh yeah. and it made 18 look really tight and then when you go see it in person the higher you go, obviously, the the wider 18 is. But, yeah, mm-hmm. wing foot from the back tees. From the back back tee, I mean, you've got to hit it on a string if you want to even you just really get do. it out of the chute. Well, the the people who, in theory, this might have cost actually are the other players who are sort of, you know, if Carl makes a bogey there, Carter maybe a double. Uh, it, essentially, the placing, it, you know, it costs uh, Russell Henley almost $50,000. Uh, JT Poston, $40,000. Uh, Emmanuel Grio. Uh, Nick Taylor, ten thousand bucks, and made Carl Yuan another an extra hundred and eighty thousand dollars by getting that favorable ruling. So, look, it's not nothing, but I like if I were JT Poston and someone had taken forty thousand bucks out of my pocket, uh, basically nuking it over the grandstands, and everyone's like, "Yeah, that we're good there." Like I, it just it's sort of baffling to me. The TIO situation, I don't feel like it ever will be addressed, but it's just a maddening deal for like fans to. To think about like you can just hit it so far off the map and things that wouldn't be an issue on the regular golf course if you and i were playing it are suddenly like a huge advantage it is truly like you know when you go bowling with your kids and you have them set up the little lanes uh so that they can't throw it in the gutter it just kind of the rails bounces off that's what sometimes pro golf oh, can feel uh, like. dude I, I say this all the time but i mean if you took out the nerves of playing in a pga tour event i think playing a pga tour event to me versus me playing an, a regular round of golf at my club or wherever, I think it's two or three shots easier to play tour golf. And when I say that, I mean, conditions, ideal greens are perfect, not super fast. Rough isn't crazy deep anymore because they always cut it down, but also it's nearly impossible to lose a golf ball with fans out there and spotters and things like that. You hit a wayward shot. They're going to find the ball. They're going to find where it crossed. You're going to get 
everything plays in the player's favor, right? The, the rules officials are there to almost help your score improve in a weird way. And that's not a knock at the rules officials. That's just how it's presented these days with golf. And I was not, I'll say this. I was not surprised that he, Carl got the favorable ruling there, you know, versus, I mean, rarely, when is the last time you saw a ruling and you were like, oh, wow, this didn't go the player's way. You know, it just doesn't ever really <laughs> feel like it pops up anymore. Pretty darn rare. I will say Carl's a pretty good story. Uh, sure. You know, only got into the field because John Rahm, uh, went to live, and so 125th player basically getting uh, eligibility and would have been the first Chinese-born player ever to win on the PGA Tour. He's only the third guy to ever uh, try, born in China to get his card. So, you know, a good story. I mean, obviously, like, hits it a long way. Uh, pretty, you know, he, they kept sort of emphasizing his wife won a national championship yep. at UW. Uh, so, you know, kind of a, a cool thing. Ho hopefully, Carl's be someone to watch and continue going forward. Um, just also, a couple more Sony. On Carl, just one last thing. If you're going to a tour event as a fan, he's a great dude to go watch. Very entertaining. Hits it forever. Um, he's kind of charismatic in the way he plays golf. So I would say outside of maybe the your favorite player or superstar that you want to see, Carl's an awesome watch. And I think Nitties and I were both big on him last year, and obviously he didn't produce on tour. But non-surprised if, if Carl won you know, once or twice this season. That's the level of talent he has. Definitely fun to see him like leaning on some oh, of oh, like flint. Yeah. You know, go, 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 left. He's, got, I, I he's, got, he's got, he's got, he's got great charisma. I'll say that he's kind of captivating to watch play. I recognize a lot of myself in that. And some of those like, Oh no, no. Okay. That chip's fine. Ah, okay, it's okay. terrible. Oh, it's close. Perfect. Thanks. Uh, just a couple more minor Sony notes. Uh, I, I have a, <laughs> a take Shane. I think is Russell Henley, the most underrated ball striker and overrated putter in golf, because every time you see Russell like competing in a tournament, you'll, you'll hear like people on the broadcast be like, well, you know, Russell Henley, like one of the great putters on tour, man, Russell Henley is like 150th on tour and putting like Russell Henley has not been a good putter for quite a while, but is like a sneaky, really good ball striker. Like is absolutely someone who you would love to have as, as like a strokes gain perspective. Like he just, he drives in the fairway. He hits good iron shots. He had an unbelievable shot on 13 late in the round. It was like out of the deep rough from 184, you know, bounces like sneaks right over the edge of the bunker through two sprinkler heads and crawls to a few feet and helps him make kind of a key birdie. Uh, I just, I'm always just laugh whenever I hear what a great putter Russell is. Cause no man, like the stats don't back it up. I mean, crazy career for this guy. When you think about Russell Henley as a player, I mean, he's mid thirties, Won his first event, you know, that was the Sony back in 2013. Picks up two wins early, and then it's just kind of been that you, I don't know what happens for these non, you know, exceptional players in professional golf, what happens when you're just going through the grind week to week of professional golf and PGA Tour golf, but just kind of hangs around and now has four wins. I mean, you know, four wins is not nothing, and it's, it's kind of impressive when you think about the quote-unquote average pro I mean, and I think Russell Henley probably falls in that. Um, that being said, not great in the majors. One top 10, and it was last year. So that's uh, that's his career. First major he played, 2010 U.S. Open. He finished his T-16, and I think he has two finishes better than that in his career since then. So uh, low AM honors at 2010, and since then it's not been great. All right. Well, we'll, we'll put Russell Henley on notice then. Uh, see if uh, things can get better. Uh, just one last thing I want to touch on the Sony stuff. Uh, did you see the Gary Woodland interview? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. I mean, really moving. I hope people who, if anybody out there didn't see it, you sort of seek it out. Uh, you know, Gary Woodland, uh, it's 
pretty public now knowledge by now, but uh, ended up, you know, realizing through doctors that he had a brain tumor, uh, started feeling pretty crappy out of um, after Augusta last year and said he would like kind of wake up in the middle of the night with like just these jolting, like almost seizures. And he it, it sort of progressed into feeling like this overwhelming sense of fear. Like he just felt like he was going to die. Like, you know, whether he was not going to wake up or the plane that he was going to be in was going to crash or car was going to crash. And so he, you know, went to some of his buddies, kind of talked about it, talked to his wife, and they were like, oh, maybe you need to get on like some anti-anxiety medication. So he talked to his doctor and the doctor was like, look, I can't give you any of this stuff without giving you an MRI first. And when they had an MRI, they, they sort of found out that, yeah, he did actually have a brain tumor. And the tumor was, you know, pressing on the part of the brain that essentially controls the, the fear function in your brain. And so we're able to give him some kind of anti-seizure medication to stop with the kind of the seizures and the jolting, but the fear stuff just really didn't go away. In fact, you know, I, I got worse after it sort of briefly kind of went away. And and so they knew they kind of had to go in and, and give him surgery. And and I mean, credit to Gary player, excuse me, Gary, <laughs> Gary. Wow, Woodland look for, at you. Yeah, I know. You want to go, you want to go Gary player so bad. We're not going to do it. I do. I do. We're not going to do it. Uh, credit to Gary for, for telling all this story. And we talked about, going into surgery and like there being no guarantees that, you know, this wasn't going to result in, you know, paralysis or like right. he was going to lose his vision. And so they went in there, they, they were able to clean out a bunch of the tumor, but they couldn't quite get it all. I think they kind of cut off the blood supply to the tumor. And when he woke up and he had, he could still see, he had, you know, movement on his left side. He, it was like this relief of like, okay, like, maybe now things are actually going to be able to be okay and get better. And slowly, gradually, things have been able to get better. He and his wife talked about it for a long time, decided that, yeah, they did miss like being on tour and seeing a lot of their friends. And, and this is, this was his job. This is what he felt is his love, his passion. And so decided to come back and, and play the Sony shot 71, 71 and uh, the two rounds didn't make the cut. But like, you know, I think that was kind of totally like a secondary type goal. It was just sort of, can I be back out there? And it just was really like, an emotional vulnerable moment for him uh to sort of sit up there and talk about that uh, i was just really kind of impressed i think you know we're all going to be rooting for gary woodland going forward such a, a nice dude yeah easy dude to root for one of the one of the you know one of those kind of guys that nobody has anything bad to say about when you talk to anybody in professional golf around the sport just just a good dude and i uh, hated to hear what he's been going through but obviously rooting for him uh, health stuff so scary you know you're you're healthy you don't think about it when you're not healthy it's all you can think about so um rooting on uh rooting on gary hopefully he's gonna kind of come back to to full strength and can rock and roll this year yeah uh let's pivot to dubai here uh you know tommy fleetwood wins uh the hey, dubai hey, invitational hey, hey, KBB, let me ask you i gotta yeah. ask you a tommy fleetwood question so yeah tron flies you know this insane trip <laughs> last year at the open and he doesn't win so fleetwood yes. wins this event in dramatic fashion with those late birdies right. on 17 and 18. So now I feel like Tron just can't go to events yeah. anymore when Tommy's in contention, right? Like it didn't work. So does Tron, yeah. I mean, does he, is it like a mulligan situation? Does Tommy not want to see Tron's face? Great question. We may have to duct tape TC to a chair uh, to prevent Hannibal him from Lecter using his, his millions of miles to fly to wherever Tommy is if he's ever in contention of a major. I will say TC said to make sure to convey this that he, he said, he, I can't fly to everywhere that Tommy is going to win this year because I would go broke, but I do intend to fly to all the majors. Okay, that, okay. That so Tommy it's a major deal. I, Got it. TC may have predicted that that Tommy is going to win like three majors, maybe four. It's hard to maybe say. Maybe five. Uh, yeah. Maybe five. But 
he did get a little help in this, uh, Shane. He did birdie the last two holes, but uh, our, our one Roy McElroy uh, kind of had control of this tournament. Actually, stood on 18T with a one-stroke yep. lead. Uh, you know, I think we both sort of felt like, well, you know, this kind of got this in hand. I mean, I didn't watch it live, but I was sort of watching on the catch up on the highlights, trying not to spoil it for myself. And uh, yikes, big snaparoo hook uh, over there into the water. Uh, I will say credit to those people who were lining the fairways there. They they did not like dive on that ball like a live grenade. They they basically were just like didn't move, let it sort of be, end up where it is. It, it gets into the water. I do know I got to think our guy Kyle Porter would have like thrown himself in front of that like a huge you know like a lineman a pulling guard coming down the road. <laughs> just lean there. into the curveball. It's fine. Just hit me uh, on the shoulder. I'll take first base. Rory did say that he was trying to hit the proper shot there, uh, on which 18. was the cut, right? Uh, he it was actually he wanted to turn it over right, and try right, to carry right. the bunker the on the right side. The that's right. So if he hits a cut there, you know it certainly doesn't go into the water. But he said basically, I feel like in that kind of situation in the future, I need to be able to trust that I can hit a draw uh, even if there's trouble on the left. So look, you can sort of look at this two ways. Like, did Rory throw away a win in a tournament? Yes. Did he, you know, hopefully gain some experience? Like doing it the proper way you know hopefully that in his mind like the, doing it the right way is going to benefit him in the long term yeah the, the the way i look at it is just this dude's floor is top five golf right now i mean it's just incredible mm-hmm. that every tournament it feels like listen the field of this event i mean it's not exactly yeah. the players 2.0 or the pga championship 2.0 for goodness sakes <laughs> I mean, what was Listen, it? It, if you want to tell me that like live events deserve world golf ranking points, this is the, I, this I would is look the at argument. the Dubai yes. Invitational as a great example. Yes. Of like, ah, you might have a pretty good point there yeah. because pretty bleak field here. Like, if Rory and Tommy are not, you know, coming down the stretch fighting for this title, then something's up with one of their games. Yeah, I mean, this is like a Greg Norman's got the field list like bulletin board yes. next to his office. You know, it's like <laughs> this is the golf tournament they're all looking at. Yeah. Is like. These guys are getting points and we're not. Are you kidding me? Yeah. But so all you live boys, I know you're listening. I know you're, you're hate, you're hate listening. Uh, I, I'll throw you this one. You, this is the kind of thing where like, you know, I can understand your, your argument here. Uh, but let's, before we focus too much on Rory, you know, I, I just think, is this going to be a, a really a big year for Tommy? Hell yes. Like I, I think, you know, these are good signs, right? He finally closed out a win, had a little help, but sometimes you need a little help. And sometimes you just need that confidence. What's are you buying or selling Tommy Fleetwood this year? Buying. I mean, I'm not going to go four or five majors like Tron, but uh, when you look at the way Tommy's played over the last couple of years in the majors, feels like he's he's there. If not, you know, not mm-hmm. getting more comfortable in the situation in the moment, whatever the case may be. Obviously, he's got the game, the complete game at that, and I think that's what you see at these majors the complete game guys show up and the guys that normally have a hole in the game, you know, are the ones like Russell Henley who have one top 10 in their career in the major championships or Ben on who has none. So uh, when you look at Tommy Fleetwood, I think absolutely. I think beating Rory is enormous. When you look at the players mm-hmm. Fleetwood has had to beat in his wins, there's not a lot of Rory McIlroy's on that list of runner ups. So yeah. I just think you, you gain a, a shit ton of confidence when you take down Rory and you birdie the last two holes the way he did. I mean, those putts were bombs. It looked like, Rom at Tory yeah. and that U.S. Open, the putts he made yeah. over the last two holes. So yes, I think going to take the confidence from the Ryder Cup. Going to take the confidence from this win. And uh, I think if you're going to lay down dough on a major winner this season, I think Tommy Fleetwood is probably a good bet to to throw a couple of uh, a couple of bucks at. 
Rory looked like he was rooting for Tommy Fleetwood more. Looked than like he was rooting, he was for, rooting like- for Fleetwood more. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, almost a bigger fist pump than Fleetwood had on the last screen when it yeah. went in. Rory's playing the long game here. He's getting uh, Tommy Fleetwood ready for for Beth Page. Uh, you know, so he, he predicted that they're going to go in and take that Ryder Cup on foreign soil for the first time. So that you know, uh, just you know, playing playing poker deep, going deep into the count, trying to. You know, I don't know. I mean, I I don't. I will th- say, Shane, I think Rory deserves credit for raising his floor a little bit. Like yep. first tournament out of the year, like not playing like unbelievable. Uh, made some sloppy mental errors like you know he, he three putted from two feet essentially on 13 when he could have you know gone up two there or i think maybe it's two or three at that point not like a thing i think to sound any alarm bells where i had a bunch of people kind of when i had a call out for questions about like you know a lot of people were like this is seems like a bad sign for rory i actually think when you're competing in a tournament when you're not playing that great it's probably like a, a true indication of like what rory's become over the last few years which he didn't used to be the case, man. I remember sitting uh, when I first started writing about him back in 2015, going to the U.S. Open at Chambers, and him saying, "Like I've just realized that I'm a pretty volatile golfer. Like I'm going to miss three cuts in a row, and then I might win a couple, you know, tournaments. And that's just I'm accepted who I am. He's not that person anymore. It's basically like, yeah, I'm more well-rounded all around. And you know, so if he can figure out a way to do that, uh, you know, play." Even like three just okay rounds and one great round in a major, that's how this drought is going to end for him. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, it's first event of the year, had a quad on a par three in round two. You mentioned the the three putt, which I'll say this, I, I like seeing, and in a weird way, I kind of like seeing guys do that at times because it means they're hitting the first putt with a lot of confidence. I mean, if you're hitting a three-footer and you're running it by four feet, that's what good putters do. They hit those putts with a lot of speed, knowing that if they do miss, they're going to have to hit a similar putt back, if not longer. And when you look at great putters, they normally will have three putts from short distance at times because you kind of live with it. You know, you go, I'm going to hit these. I think I saw a stat. He was like 99 point something percent inside of three feet last year. Yep. Again, that's because he hits these putts and takes the breakout. And Rory is a very underrated putter. He's a very underrated short game player in general. I think uh, yeah. outside of kind of the full wedges, that's always been an issue with the the Rory McIlroy game over the years. The putting and the chipping has improved dramatically, I'd say, over the last three, four years. And uh, it's become a, a weapon, not, you know, a bit of a curse to the long game and the driving. So yeah. I have no issues with it. I'm excited for Rory's year. Uh, you know, I think if he comes into this week field and finishes 11th or 15th or 25th, you'd sit there and go, what was going on with Rory? But, I mean, he opens with 62, you know. I mean, again, yeah. he I think he made made the quad and one bogey the first three rounds, made three bogeys on Sunday. But, again, I think Rory's leaving going, all right, he'll probably win this week, honestly. I bet he wins this week. I mean, I know the yeah. odds are probably stupid to to throw on, but I would I would probably – I would be surprised if he's not a, a victor on Sunday. Rory draws a lot of attention, positive, negative, a lot of criticism, a lot of praise. Uh, and, you know, sometimes like you see the people ripping him and you're like, man, like, I, I guess you're welcome to your opinion. But, you know, you look at it like when you see a shot like he hit at the Ryder Cup with that that back foot little uh, skitter. So uh, good. What is it? What, what do you call that? How would you describe fizzer? that? I think fizzer. Nitties calls it a fizzer. So good. Yeah. You're like, dude. This this is there's just no one who is as talented as him uh, in this sense. Like I look, Scotty's freaking great. Scotty's you know the, the best ball striker in the world. But like when you took it like total package, like the ability to hit those kind of crazy shots, like that's just that's what makes him an, a draw. Um, 
All right. So on, KV, I got I got I got a Rory thing for you. And I, okay, I don't know. If, I don't know if it's this is this is true. I don't even know if I believe it. But I was thinking okay. about this yesterday. Mm-hmm. I grew up in East Texas. I was a big cowboy fan in the '90s. Um, you know, I mean, why wouldn't you be right? I mean, I'm a kid. I think this first first Super Bowl it was second grade. I was a starter jacket guy into the apex. You know, when they switched. I mean, that was the team that I rooted for. Yeah. Not been yep. great since '95. I mean, I don't think no. we have to tell the golf fans out there that the Cowboys have struggled since '95. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> is there a Rory Cowboys comp here that we're missing? Oh man. Is there? Is that a? Is now again? I think Rory is way better than the Cowboys have been. I mean, Rory, if you yeah. know the Cowboys, what have they won like one or two playoff games in the last 25 years? They hadn't made. Uh, obviously, I've made a Super Bowl. I don't think they've made an NFC Championship game since '95. And Rory's been in plenty of final groups and major championships. But is there a level here that the Cowboys and Rory could be compared to each other? God, that's that's a sobering thought to think about. Uh, most popular I, team you know, in the I'd argue to say most popular team in sports. Definitely the most popular mm-hmm. team in the NFL. I think Rory is yeah. easily the most popular professional golfer right now when Tiger isn't playing or when Tiger's not around as consistently as we were expecting Tiger to be at this point in his career. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of focus on Rory at every major championship. There's a lot of focus on the Cowboys when they get to the playoffs and what they do in the regular season, yet it never leads to that postseason success. So I think that what I would say is the, the Cowboys haven't really gotten close at all. And Rory right. has been totally. close. The old That's course, the problem with it. LACC. Maybe like the 49ers are a little bit better of a comp because 49ers have been really good and have been close. Obviously, maybe you're throwing out some of the popularity stuff. Where I do think that it might work is like, is is are the Dallas Cowboys like Rory's masters? Because okay. every okay. year I like that. we tell ourselves it's different. Every year there's this big buildup. Every year people are like, you, you don't get it. Like he's going to win. It's different this these. year. It's different. He's, he's got a different mentality, new coach, new approach, new. You know, I it's so funny. I've like after we did our trap draw uh where we talked about like we're, we're not going to talk about Dak we're not going to talk about the press the the uh, Cowboys until after the season we're just not ready to have a conversation because it doesn't matter until after playoffs I had like several Cowboy fans in my DMs being like man you don't get it this year is different you, you're completely wrong whatever and then literally after the game they were like, I'm sorry, I'd take yep, it all back. Yep. Like, this is, this is rock bottom. We're fucked. Uh, this is so frustrating. And I feel like that's a little bit sometimes with Rory and the Masters. It's like, you can tell me it's going to be different every single time, but until it changes, like, it's what it is. <laughs> I, I almost feel like maybe the comp is Cowboy fans and Rory fans, right? Where yeah. you see the success in the regular season, you see all these wins in non-major events. Rory's talked about it. I've won everything but majors, you know, over the last 10, 11 years. And for Cowboy fans, you go, you know, they keep winning 12 games. They keep, you know, hanging around the NFC East to win the win the division. You know, they they're they're floating around the one and two seed a lot every single year. Yet they get the postseason and they're down 27 nothing to the youngest postseason team since 1977 who comes into your building and beats your ass. I mean, it was I mean, how many playoff games, how many playoff games are over in the first quarter? I feel like the NFL it's there's yeah. always an opportunity to come back and there was just no opportunity to come back in this game they were donezo yeah well i mean i don't want to talk anymore about rory i feel like we're just giving the live dorks like what about, Cow- you talk about the cowboys anymore you good <laughs> i'm talking about the cowboys uh one last note from dubai a little bit of proof of life from francesco molinari 
Uh, shot a final round 63. Uh, Shane, any chance we're seeing in a resurgence of uh, Frankie <laughs> in 2024? I'm going to need a little bit more than the Dubai Invitational. That's what I'll say. <laughs> I hope, I hope it. Fair. I'd love to see it, but I don't think the Dubai Invitational is going to be my mark on your back or you're not back. That's fair. That's fair. Well, you know, Frankie and uh, Tommy Fleetwood were a great fit in the Ryder Cup. You know what else is a great fit? It's Roback. Uh, you all know Roback. Did you Roback. write that down? Did you write that down? Uh, that you know, just I might have ad-libbed there. I mean, I, listen, you know, when you're a writer, you gotta you. Like, uh, like you got to pretend like you're just ad-libbing. Listen, you all know Roback. Best fit, best feel. Uh, fresh off new restocks for our favorite polos, hoodies, and Q-zips. Trust us when you say there isn't a better gear while you're golfing or just out and about. The fit, the feel, the quality, it's all perfect. Roback is fresh off a of restock for some of their performance polos, too. The material is moisture wicking and has a great stretch while the collar is so crisp and doesn't lose its shape. Uh, they fit so much better than those old boxy polos, too. Simply put, the best designed uh, and paired with our best polos. You know that they have the best performance hoodies, too. Legit, the only hoodies they wear. I love the rollback hoodies. One of my absolute favorites. The fabric is so soft, we can't take it off. Uh, we wear them on the course or just in everyday life. They're that good. Finally, the performance Q-zips are back, and we love them. Have a great classic look with the soft performance fabric that makes them incredibly comfortable. The definition of versatile and these Q-zips have you feeling good and looking good. If you haven't already, it's time to load up on some Roback, both for yourself and others. Use the code NLU on Roback.com for a generous 20% off your first order through the end of this week. That's spelled R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. That's 20% off all bottoms, Q-zips, hoodies, and more with the code NLU. Get ready for the golf season with Roback. I got to give me some of those bottoms because uh, it's getting cold here in Baltimore. Uh, Shane, a couple things that run around the golf world uh, that I just want to kind of hit up. Martin Slumbers announced that he was stepping down uh, from the RNA at the end of the year. Said when he started that basically his term was going to be uh, longer than five years but shorter than ten. Uh, I think this will be nine years that he'll end up sort of having served. So um, Martin Slumbers is pretty – I didn't realize this uh, until I kind of read through Jeff Shackelford's newsletter, um, which the Quadrilateral, which is just a great – a great value, I think. If you haven't subscribed to this, you definitely should. But it he, might, he be, just the, might be the best off. value in golf media is the quadrilateral. It's really great. It's so he, good. he, you know, there's some newsletters that are shit, and there's some that are absolutely worth it. And I would 100 percent put uh, Jeff's newsletters. KVV, it was, it was, it would it. go to my spam folder for like six months. So I'd have to, I didn't know how to change it. Like I couldn't figure out how to get it out of the filter. I'm sure somebody's listening, like rolling their eyes at how dumb I am in terms of this, but I ended up the, I had like the unroll me deal on my email and somehow it stopped working, which you would think would be brutal because now you're going to get all these emails that you enrolled from in theory, but it's actually been kind of nice because now the shack, the quadrilateral comes right to my inbox. So now I don't have to go search in the spam. So I had to unsubscribe from 250 emails, but I got shacks back in the in the main <laughs> inbox. So it's a win-win. Worth yeah, it. Yeah. Worth it. Uh, just Shaq kind of listed off, you know, some of uh, Martin Slumber's accomplishments, uh, which I think, you know, particularly with like, you know, the the introduction of a more emphasis on the women's game, I think was super um, impressive. He, he, so one of his big uh you know, I guess, what is the right word? One of his big uh, emphases was to sort of have make upgrades to the Women's Open Championship, uh, which was a, a huge one. This, he established several new events, including the GD4 Open for the world's most talented golfers with disabilities. <clears throat> um, you know, the, the African-American Championship, the, this, the African Amateur Championship, the Women's Amateur Asia-Pacific Championship, the Women's Latin Amateur America's Championship, um, they sort of made it so there were exemptions from the Asia Pacific Amateur into the Open Championship as well as the Latin Amateur. 
you know, working essentially with Augusta National to sort of make those things, which is also the case, like working with the USGA for, for exemptions in the US Open with that. Um, aggressive modernization upgrade of commercial aspects of the Open. Uh, he, he modernized the Open brand, uh, you know, which sort of made it still kind of well, the iconic stuff with the Claret Jug and the Yellow Scoreboard, but made the Open, you know, actually like feel really like it had moved forward in a lot of way. If, look, if you ever looked up stuff on the internet and tried to like, watch final rounds, you can't do it with the PGA Championship, but you sure can with the Open yep. Championship, which is funny to think about how stuffy and like old the Open Championship seems compared to the PGA, and yet like the Open Championship is just way further. Uh, super successful um, Open Championship at Royal Portrush. It was the first time uh, that it was not held in the island of Great Britain since 51, and they're going to go back to Portrush soon. <clears throat> um, just, you know, multiple efforts to bring forth more women and girls in golf, including the launch of the Women in Golf Charter. Uh, and then, of course, the Champions Challenge, uh, which was sort of a big part of the, the beginning of the Open where, you know, not only the, you know that's been around for a while, but having women kind of be involved in that, former Women's Open winners, uh, you know, that was a really cool thing to see, you know, this the past year at St. Andrews where, you know, you get, you know, Rory McIlroy and, and Mo Martin playing yep. together or, you know, you get, uh, you know, Annika playing around. It's, it's just super fun. I mean, I, one of the things I think I really do love is the Open Challenge. I remember years ago, the first Open Championship that I ever covered, seeing Phil Mickelson kind of just in awe of Peter Thompson, which, you know, I can't imagine, I can't remember how old Peter was that year, but like, that was such a kind of neat connection to like the history of all things, right? Phil got to be a part of that because he won in 2013. And here he was, you know, standing next to someone who he'd certainly never seen play, but had read and heard about who had won five open championships, just a kind of a cool way that history connects one. And to include women in that, I think is really an awesome. Thing. You, you think about what Marty slumbers did in his career. And I think if you break down work in general, mm -hmm. it's when I entered this position and I left this position, did I make it better? And I think yeah. he 1 million percent can say I made things better. I mean, he was obviously yeah. trying to, you know, bring more women into the game. I mean, though, the women's open championship was basically not even a major championship, you know, 20 yeah. years ago. Women wouldn't even go. Yeah, I mean, they wouldn't even go. Like, literally big names wouldn't Americans, even go over and play. Yeah. It almost was like old school PGA tour golf, you know, in the, in the seventies and eighties. And so, um, to establish that more impactful in terms of women's golf and to make some of these golf tournaments in parts that aren't the U S and aren't the UK, uh, that are extremely important in terms of qualifications and up in the stage for those types of events. I mean, these are all huge things. I mean, Martin Slumbers grew the game. You know, we mm -hmm. love grow the game. This dude did it. He did it. He checked yep. off whatever box you're trying to check off and plenty more. So kudos to him. It's not easy to, I'm sure, come into positions, especially with the RNA, as you said, a bit stuffy, a bit old school, all of those things. And to try to modernize it, I can only imagine it was met with plenty of challenges and he just plowed through those. So shout out to, yep. to Mr. Slummers. Now I will say uh, with the USGA, you know, with Mike Juan picking a little bit of fight with uh, professional golfers and distance stuff. I, I guess if you're going to offer any sort of criticism, you could say like, look, like this is a huge monumental change in the way that things are going to, you know, be going forward in terms of distance. You, you basically said, yeah, this is what the RNA is going to support. And then basically said, all right, like, good luck uh, to you guys, like figuring this out in this fight. That's, you know, I, I don't think it's probably, we're probably in like the first or second chapter of the uh, distance stuff in terms of, you know, whether, how it's going to look when it's was gets implemented in 2028 for, you know, the professional players in 2030 for amateurs. Uh, so, you know, who knows, but look, 
I'm sure that they have a succession plan in place. Uh, I'm sure that the, whoever sort of takes over is going to be supportive of that uh, thing. Next, um, speaking of picking a fight and not sticking around for the end of it, uh, Keith Pelly announced <laughs> that uh, he is out at the DP World Tour. Going back uh, to Canada, baby. Going back to Canada. Bye. You know, look, I love love Canada. Uh, it, ain't, it ain't like going back to Cali, like as El Cool J said all those years ago, but going back to Canada to take the position of the president and CEO of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, the parent company of the NHL's Toronto Maple Leafs, the Toronto Raptors, as well as the city's MLS and Canadian Football League franchises. Uh, Shane, I got to say, look, I, I, this is apparently Keith Pelly's dream job. Uh, you would think that, you know, maybe having been a big part of like standing up to live and now like having to negotiate the future of the DP world tour that you, you there's a little part of me that kind of wishes like maybe like the Toronto, uh, the Maple Leaf sports entertainment could have said, all right, Keith, like we want you, but we'll, we'll wait another five months because you really got to figure out, you got to get this to the end of the line here with uh, you know, the the PJ tour and live and what the future all is going to look like. But when news also came out this week that for the first time, Yasser and Jay had like a lengthy phone conversation. I believe the Telegraph reported this since like June. I don't know what the frick they've been doing all this time. Like, why haven't they been on the phone weekly talking about the future of this? There's a part of me that wonders if Keith Pelly was like, yeah, look, you ain't ever going to figure this nope. out. And I'm like the, the, you know, the fourth child going on a vacation in a discussion like this. I'm the Kevin McAllister of this. I'm getting left behind <laughs> in this. So I'm going to just peace out on this. You guys can figure this out. I, you know, I think Keith Pelly's been a, a positive force for DP World Tour. I know not everyone would agree with that. Uh, and I know our friend Brendan Porath is going to be happy about never to having his to name mix ever up. again. I mean, <laughs> dude, I don't, I don't fault him at all. I mean, that job has got to be brutal right now. I mean, we can bag on Jay and we can bag on Keith and how the things have gone with Liv and the PGA Tour and DP World Tour and all those things. These are people, they're humans, they got to live life. A lot of public criticism, a lot of eyeballs on them the last couple of years. Seems like this gig is going to be way chiller, which is wild to say considering how massive this is in and around Toronto, right? But just get the hell out of this, man. I mean, this dude's got to go on TV all the time and answer these questions and, and try to figure out his tour. It feels like, if anything, the DP World Tour and all of this has been the tour kind of left behind, right? I mean, it seems like the PGA Tour and now Liv are trying to partner and figure out a way to make this make sense. Is Keith even in those conversations? Is he is he phoning in? Is he conferencing in on these calls? Is he, like, jumping in a FaceTime trying to get a little time with Jay? Like, who the hell knows? But I don't fault him at all. This seems like it's been brutal the last couple of years. And to go maybe take a job that is a little less face-forward seems like it'd be way more up my alley and I can only imagine it's up his alley as well. And it's going to be way more fun and you get out of this when you can. So I don't fault him. It may be as much as you're faulting him for wanting to get out in the middle of it. Yeah. Uh, in uh, one other news, there was sort of a, you know, a minor, but funny thing, I think to us, uh, Ken Wayne, excuse me, Ken Wayand, he's the director uh, of golf. The, at, this is at, the, this is the Jordan golf club guy, Michael right? Michael Jordan's uh, director of golf at, at club 23. He wish he uh, shot. He wish he would have shot club 23 at this event. <laughs> Ken, Ken Wayand, uh, was a sponsor's exemption into Dubai. Uh, and he opened with an 87 in the, in the opening round. Uh, he followed that up with an 82 and then another 82 and an 86, obviously no cut tournament there. And, uh, in, in Dubai, I think, uh, you know, what was this, uh, you know, Tommy finished what, like 19 under, yep. 
Uh, we're, we're, I, I don't know what the gap is. Between, I think it was 72 shots between uh, <laughs> 72 last strokes between last and first. Uh, I did notice it on uh, Ken's Twitter bio that he said, I'm just trying to get better every day, uh, which, you know, you did it mostly for the first three days. You just, you know, set the bar pretty low and then got a little better. But that 86 coming home was a little tough. Look, there's no way that I could shoot uh, these numbers in a tournament. So I, it feels a little bit silly to throw stones but you could Shane I think definitely like uh you, you certainly you played in the USAM this year uh you didn't shoot any 87s Close. Uh, but but we'll say like how tough is like a professional golf setup we did say it was you know earlier in the show we said you know it's two or three strokes easier than uh things but but that doesn't include like the pressure right, that, of like and, and, playing and in I front of people I mean I think it's it's taken away you know, what you're going to feel on that first tee. I mean, again, I'm not bagging on anybody that shoots a high number at these golf tournaments. I qualified for the amateur and shot two rounds in the eighties was not expecting to do that. Had been playing great golf up until that. And then the mind does weird things when, you know, the gun goes off per se. So it is like, I don't know why he's in the field. I don't know why he was there. I mean, it's weird to have him a part of this. Who the hell knows what handshake that involved, but listen, I mean, scratch golf for shooting the eighties. I, when I played, so KVV, when I played mini tour golf, Back in like the mid 2000s, the best player on the tour I was playing at, he would win two to three times a year and he made a good living. He'd make like 150K a year, you know, for his family playing mini tour golf. I remember I one time looked up how he'd played in PGA Tour events that he qualified in. He'd never not shot around in the 80s. Every time he played a PGA Tour event, he shot in the 80s. It's just, it's just different. And I'm sure this guy, I'm sure our boy Ken is a scratch golfer at the Grove. I'm sure he shoots plenty of good rounds there. I know I know Michael squeezes it in at 305 or whatever, so maybe Ken's like a 265 driver and can hit every fairway, but uh, the, it feels different when uh, when you're playing with a caddy and bib and fans out there and you, know, you look over across the fairway and you see Rory and Tommy Fleetwood. So it's just part of it. I mean, you can't, you can't, you can laugh at it, but I'm definitely not judging them because I've done the same thing. Maybe it's because Jordan plays, you know, in a cart and plays his rounds in an hour and 40 minutes where he just gets to zoom through everyone. Maybe he can really play a little of, better. Ken might get a lot golf. of six-footers for par, too. Yeah, pick that up. That's good. That's good. All right, motherfucker, pick it up. Who's going to the next team? Let's, let's go. go. Let's That's go. all square. Let's go. The vets uh, By the way, I press. I, I press. <laughs> yeah, he wants uh, him to get the putt, yeah. Uh, we did have a reader saying, uh, uh, Jay Sugg said, could any of the NLU guys have shot better than Ken Way and uh, did in Dubai this weekend? Uh, and does the TP, DP2 World Tour get credit for doing what NLU has been asking for a long time, having a random person in the field as a marker to show how good the pros really are? Uh, Shane, any chance that any of the NLU boys, certainly not myself, uh, could have uh, could have broken 86, yeah, 87 I mean, this weekend? I'd, I'd say I'd probably put the number at four, I think is probably okay. a fair number. Yeah. Um, That's good. I mean, I think I think Tron breaks what did he shoot he shoot 53 over is that what it was 53 yep what's yep. the number god he, uh 54 53 53 over 53 second to last was 14 over god it's nearly <laughs> 40 tough. shots worse than 59th place that is crazy but yeah I, I think four guys from nlu including tron i think tron with the way he's been playing and how straight he's hitting the golf ball off the tee um could get it in at better than whatever 53 over so that's my number Okay. Well, shout out to uh, 
to, to those big dreamers. Uh, we'll see. We're going to have an NLU festival this summer where we uh, basically a club championship where we show down. So we'll see. You know, is that, how, is that going to be uh, everyone net, does gross? The what's the, yeah. what's the plan there? It, it's, it's just gross. Okay. Like no strokes, nothing. You got to show up and play. Are you going to so do match play or is it going to be just stroke play for four, four rounds or whatever? We're, we're thinking, uh, you know, it's going to be 36 holes. So after 18, we'll have a cut, uh, you know, so your boy here would, would just be hoping to like, even have a chance to make the cut. That would be my, uh, I, you know, I, I've got to have like, you know, DJ and Randy have like a tough day, I think, for an order for because they have a lot more like match experience, okay. particularly on camera, than I do. So, uh, Casey does, and I are working hard does it to make you, sort of give ourselves a chance. I mean, this has been a, I mean, obviously, I mean, what are you, a year and change in to working mm-hmm. with NLU? Is playing golf in front of a camera one of the hardest things to do in terms of this position? Because, I mean, obviously, like you said, it's something you never really had to deal with before. Yeah, I definitely did not expect it to be quite as like nerve wracking, particularly if you like start to read the comments and you're like, oh, like, let me see what people are saying. Oh, that's not very nice. Oh, wow. That's that's pretty hard again. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of like there's no fucking way this guy's a, uh, you know, a nine or an eight handicap or whatever. I mean, I will say like you only shoot to your handicap in the world handicap system like 25 percent of the time. And so like if you're going to show up on camera, all of a sudden you're you're asking to like hit those numbers plus have the added pressure of it. You know, like you've, you've played with me, like I'm not horrendous, uh, but I, you know, I don't look at currently like an eight or a nine on camera uh, just because you can't help sometimes with get it in your head. And, and uh, so it's a, it's a weird feeling. Yeah, I, I want to see the first comment on social media where somebody actually thinks a certain person is the actual <laughs> handicap, because I feel like everybody's <laughs> not the handicap that they present right on social, like comments and tweets are always like, yeah. this guy's not a two, this guy's not a zero, this guy sucks, right? I mean, nobody's ever like, you know what? I think KDD is like a six. Like that's never the he's case. He's appropriately rated. Yeah. yeah what a he's, great you know, he's you, know definitely... what? you know what I might start doing? I might jump on YouTube and just start commenting on like good, good. And Bob does sports and just be like, that's actually this guy's handicap. They look like an eight. That's what I think they are. KVV eight. Boom. Eight. Commenting. Uh, in other news, making a uh, tiger parting ways with Nike. Uh, we knew this was kind of in the works for a while. Uh, it was actually, you know, TC who sort of first, uh, you know, put it out there. They'd heard this, was happening uh made it official this week I, i'm curious you know did this make you feel anything i mean this is a brand breaking up with a player or a player breaking up with a brand uh but also like kind of an iconic pairing and, and part of our lives as golf fans for a long time yeah it's i mean it's the biggest i'd call it breakup if you will i don't know if it's, it seems like everybody's pretty happy with it it seems like the tiger camp was fine and nike was fine but it feels like the biggest brand breakup in sports history. So I think um, in that vein, yeah, sure, it makes you feel something just because it's going to be so weird to see Tiger in something else. Um, that being mm-hmm. said, I think after the first round, we'll never think about it again. It's almost going to be like when they changed the grooves and the wedges and we were like, yeah. oh, my God, this is a huge deal. And then it's like three rounds in. You're like, whatever, nobody cares. It's fine. We're going to move on. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think about Federer, you know, was with Nike forever. And obviously, when he departed, it was strange to see him in Uniglow for a few tournaments. Then it just became, you know, normalized again. I think uh, maybe the strangest golf one that I can think of is Dustin Johnson wearing foot joys. It's just strange to see because he was such an Adidas ambassador for so many years. And I mean, there's a reason these companies pay athletes so much money because you recognize a player as a quote unquote, you know, 
blank brand. I mean, you think about Steph Curry, right? I mean, what do you think about with Steph Curry, right? You think about Under Armour, you know, and you think about Dustin and Sergio for so many years, you thought about Adidas golf and for Tiger. I mean, Tiger was Nike golf. I mean, before Tiger, there was the Seve visor, Curtis Strange wore Nike a little bit, but I mean, outside of those, you know, short and small instances, I don't really remember Nike being a part of golf. I remember KVV, you, you know, you'd collect golf balls with logos and you had like the, I don't know if you have those, but when I was a kid, I had one in my room. I remember having a swoosh golf ball because Nike didn't make golf balls. And I remember having finding a Nike golf ball, like a ball with a Nike swoosh on it one time and it being a part of my collection. I mean, that's how little they were involved in the sport at the time before uh, before Tiger obviously joined the tour in 96. So, um, I mean, strange. I did, I did think the social reactions were a little overblown. It's almost like somebody <laughs> died or something. It's like, oh, RIP the swoosh. You're like, that's still going to be on a lot of people. Yeah, it is. It is the exact kind of thing that like old Deadspin uh, defector would like have totally made fun yes. of. Like people crying, crying over brands. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that said, like you know, how many people have ever like tried to juggle a ball on their wedge? Like one of the most, I think, influential commercials of all time uh, was just Tiger basically fucking around between takes and the director saying like, "Wait a minute, uh, can you do that for like forty seconds?" and Tiger was like, yeah. And I think it took him four tries to do it. And then at the end of it, he, you know, hit it up in the air and hit it like a baseball. And just truly one of the most like memorable, iconic commercials in the history of advertising. Uh, any any other of those commercials that stick out to the, you? The window yeah. one was always kind of my sneaky favorite, you know, when he breaks yeah. the windows. I don't really know much of the backstory on that. I don't know if he actually broke the windows or if that was, you know, post or whatever the case may be. Obviously, the audio is because the audio is so great when he cracks them. Um, love that one and love the tiger at st andrews one you know when he was a kid and they they superimposed him on the on the greens and then obviously he had the moments at the open and at the old course uh you know i mean i just the creativity wise i always wanted kvv i always wanted him to make i remember when jason gore had that run at the u.s open and he was a nike athlete at the time i always wanted them to make a commercial where like tiger woke up in the morning at 5 a.m and went to the straight to the gym and was sweating pouring sweat and lifting a whole bunch of weight and then they flip to Gore and he's like waking up at eight and he's having a big breakfast and he's having his coffee and he's chilling. And then, you know, Tiger goes, and this is no, by the way, this is no knock to Jason Gore. I love Jason Gore, but you know, just different. Yeah. They were in different walks, sure. I guess at the time and like Tiger's going to the range and then whatever. But I just wanted to see like two Nike athletes go about their business so differently. And then yeah. at the end of the commercial, they like meet on the driving range and they both hit it close or they're on the first tee <laughs> and they both bomb at 300 yards. Just to remind people that not every athlete is the you same. You can do it either way. Yeah. yeah, 100%. Well, I I was thinking about this just as sort of the, the things unfolded and, and there may become a time when uh, Rory is no longer a, a Nike athlete either, but the 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 Ripples ad where I think it was in 2015, it was right when it seemed like Rory was the next yeah. tiger oh, right he just he's coming off winning two majors it's debuted right before the masters it's you know of him playing as a little kid and he's watching tiger woods you know footage on tv and it's like then he, he kind of gets a little bit older and he's still watching tiger he's his dad is closing down the bar and you know rory's coming in there and saying like oh dad he's three under and you know it's and then you get rory. rory playing in the rain and 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 you know finally in the in the last scene it sort of comes together where actual real life rory mcelroy and tiger woods like are on the first tee and they're, you know, it flashes back to like everything that came before it. And Tiger, you know, hits his shot and then Rory hits a shot and they're walking down the fairway and he says, you know, just good shot, man. Good shot there, man. And it's like, I, you know, that's the closest to me like a commercial has ever come to being like art. Yep. It just was like a, such great storytelling. 
And it was really, I thought, an interesting moment because Tiger was willing to kind of hand the torch to someone else. It was essentially saying like, yeah, uh, as long as I kind of get credit for like having inspired you, uh, I'm okay with saying that you're like the next one who's deserving of this title. And he, forever, Tiger was, you know, he in that time in 2015, he was really sort of stuck in like, we don't know if he's ever going to, you know, be great again. And so for him to say, like, yeah, I think Rory's like the next dude and I'm willing to appear in a commercial with him as an equal, not just as like, oh, these the, all these guys like want to be me and then they're never going to make it. Blah, blah, that, you know, that very funny commercial where they're all like dressing up like Tiger, pretending to be Tiger. It's like Stuart Sink and <laughs> some of the other guys. Uh, I just thought that was a kind of a cool moment. Whoever the ad director of that was. uh Awesome. awesome. The, the other, yeah. the other underrated Nike one was the Symphony one, where mm-hmm. Tiger goes to the range and all these hacks yeah. are hitting all over the place, and then they all start hitting it together like perfectly. And the moment he leaves, like the balls go everywhere again. I always thought that was a great commercial too. A lot of great Nike Tiger commercials. Somebody should just like Absolutely. somebody at Nike should cut them all together and put them up on YouTube, and yeah. it'd be like forty-five minutes of viewing, and we would all watch it. Every golf nerd would watch it. The problem with a lot of those commercials is you watch them. Somebody like filmed it off their their phone on a tv on a tv 12 yep. years ago and it's got like a half a million views you go can we just get like the professional look at this it'd be great yeah uh Shane, i want to close with one sort of thing that you sent me a text earlier this week and we were talking a little bit about like this era that we are living in the sort of the the era of in a lot of ways like goats yep. and legends and you said something interesting in the text that i want you to kind of expand on like what does goat mean to you because yeah. In the last few, you know, years or or even months, we've said, you know, seen the end of Serena Williams and Roger Federer and Nick Saban and Bill Belichick and Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and Rafael Nadal. And, you know, we're getting close to Tiger and Phil and LeBron kind of stepping off stage. And I, I just kind of curious, like, I almost feel like, are we appreciating enough what we are living through as sports fans in this moment? Yeah, I mean, I think as a kid... As I grew up, I just expected that every year, every mini generation, every generation, whatever you want to call it, I just expected it was going to be better than the previous one, right? And so, you know, you think about obviously bird magic, and I'm going to lean on basketball because it's, you know, my favorite sport outside of golf, but you think about bird magic, and then you get, you know, MJ, obviously, and you have that great Rockets team, and then it was Shaq and Penny, and that era was great for basketball, and then Jordan leaves, and basketball kind of suffered a bit, right? Um, But then you think about sports post-Jordan, and I've just been thinking about the quote-unquote GOAT generation, and I'm wondering if it is coming to an end, because again, I thought when I was younger that it would just get better every year, and we would just see better athletes and and better players pop up, and I think it's been the quarterback play over the last couple years that has made me start to think about this, because for so many years, we didn't appreciate how many great quarterbacks we had. I mean, you know, obviously it's easy to lean on Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, but I mean, Rivers was so efficient, so good for so many years. Roethlisberger, even, you know, Prime Flacco and Eli, these guys, they could win Super Bowls literally on their own talents, right? I mean, what Eli did in those Super Bowls was incredible. So yeah, you mentioned a few of the names, but I was thinking post-Jordan. So we've had Brady, LeBron, Tiger, Federer, Nadal, Serena, Ledecky, Phelps, Messi, Peyton, Saban, Belichick, Tiger, Phil, Steph. Annika, Novak, Simone Biles. Like when you dive into the list of those names, they're all the best at what they do. And I think when people think about quote unquote goat, they think about the greatest. I look at it a little bit different. I think about like the greatest of all time, like a like extended to a kind of a smaller pool of players, like, you know, Kareem and Wilt and Bill and 
MJ and Bird and LeBron, like they can all kind of be goats of their era. I mean, Magic, you could throw in there as well, right? Kobe's a name that, that floats around, Tim Duncan. Like there are so many goats. And I'm just wondering if a little bit like we saw in golf, you know, post kind of 2010 with Tiger and Phil, you go in a slight lull, right? I mean, 2011, 12, 13, 14, kind of before Rory became Rory, golf didn't really have that that goat playing the sport. And I'm just wondering if right now, if we are going to go in a little bit of a lull, you know, all these great coaches are leaving, all these great players are retiring. Are we going to see people take those positions and places? Tennis is struggling with it right now. Golf might be struggling with it very, very soon. The quarterback position, I think we're struggling with it as well. And I'm just wondering if when this generation from basically 20, 2000 to 2024 goes away, retires, whatever the case may be, are we going to miss that group? Because I think we always just expected somebody to fill in the spot. Yeah. It's funny. It's like that quote from the office that Ed Helm says in like the final, you know, it made me think of that. It's like, I wish someone would have told me that, you know, I was living in the good times while we were still in yep. them. So I could have appreciated it in some ways more. My wife and I were talking the other day and she was like, you know, who's the next Tiger Woods? Like she doesn't really follow, you know, sports. Well, I'm that closely. In your and I was here. like, I'm, I'm very interested yeah. in what you had to say here. I said, you know what? It's probably a kid who's been born who's like seven yeah, years yeah. old okay. right now. And we're not going to be introduced to that kid for another, you know, at the earliest seven, eight years. You know, when the, this kid gets into the USAM and is like tearing it up. You know, it, it's possible that that kid is like 11 right now and we're closer to the cusp of it. But if you think about like the time between when Jack Nicholas's prime ended, it was like 1980, 81, somewhere in there. You know, they had that last kind of gasp in 86 uh but that between that and what tiger before tiger came around it was like you know 11 years before tiger emerged on the scene uh and so you know there's there's a very real chance that we're going to experience like a lull in golf and there isn't going to be kvv that's my question is it not just golf like is this sports is this not because again these great soccer players are leaving and it's like, who's going to fill in the role, right? Who's going to, who's going to become the face of soccer. Who's going to become the face of football. Who's going to become the face of golf and face of tennis and face of basketball. And it's just so interesting that all these people that I feel like you, okay. If I said, who's the best shooter of all time, you'd say Steph, right? You know, who's the best basketball player of all time. You're going to say MJ or LeBron, right? Who's the best golfer of all time. You're going to say tiger. Likely. Maybe you say Jack. I just feel like, the best at what they did, the best at a specific skill, the best w- female swimmer of all time, Ledecky, the best male swimmer of all time, Phelps. Like all these people were in the same era, if you will. And I'm just wondering is, is are, are we going to get 10 goats pop up in the next 10 years that are pushing those names for greatest of all time? Or is this going to be, like you said, between Jack and Tiger 10, 11, 12 years before those types of names emerge again? Yeah. I mean, I think people like in football would say, well, like, you know, Patrick Mahomes Agreed. has a chance to be better than both Brady or Manning. Like he's young enough and is successful enough. Like who knows? Like Mahomes could go on a tear and, and win a Super Bowl this year. And, you know, we don't know who that person is in golf, but, you know, it it might, again, it might be some kid who's born in India and is like 16 years yep. old right now. I think our like our parents probably thought like, oh, it's not going to get any better than this. Like M- Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, like those are the the best players who have come along the most entertaining. They basically made the NBA what it was, you know, or people probably thought, you know, it about even about baseball players. So like, Oh, you know what? Like, uh, 
Derek Jeter is the, you know, Alex Rodriguez. Like those are the best shortstops who could possibly come along. Hall of Famers right there. There's no way that, you know, like over time, like shit just continues to evolve. I think there are, there are always gaps in like those things. And I, I just do think your point is super valid is that we have not appreciated what we have just lived through in some ways of across the whole spectrum of like, man, I, it would stun me for a long time if we got another gymnast, uh, who was better than Simone Biles. Right. I went to see Simone uh, in the U S trials with my, my daughter. And it was like, Holy shit. Like you've, you haven't seen this in, in person. This is amazing. Or like when you watch Rory McIlroy drive a golf ball in person, you're like, this does not live up to what TV is. Same with watching Federer hit ground strokes. You know, I mean, I saw him play Agassi in the U S open wow. uh, final. So it, cool. yeah, it was literally like Federer was, I think it was maybe his second or third major. So he was still just up on the upcoming and it was Agassi's last gasp. And I was like, huh, this guy's awesome, obviously. But like, is he ever going to be like as good as Andre Agassi? Like, yeah, I think he did okay there. Like, he, you know, not only did he surpass him, but then he got surpassed in a lot of those things. So I don't know, man. Like, I just, I would, I hope so. Like, I hope that my kids get to experience like their own generation of goats. Uh, but I do think we ought to, you know, raise a, a glass of non-alcoholic something to to all of what we've seen in the last, uh, you know, 10, 15. I guess, I guess it's just, yeah, across the spectrum is wild. Like when you really think about across the spectrum, Coach K and Belichick mm-hmm. and Pete Carroll and, you know, these, these, all these people leaving around the same time. I mean, it's going to, when you look back on this era, it's going to be like a six-year window where yeah. the best at almost every respective sport leaves, quits, retires. Just mm-hmm. that's so crazy. Yeah, truly. Uh, Bang, this was super fun. You want to do this again next I'm week? I'm into it. I'm into it. Let's do it again. I'll change my oh, hat. Yeah. It's good, good hat today. I'll change it next good. week. Uh, thank you all for, uh, you know, I know that uh, your your faves will be back eventually, but we're piloting the ship now for, or for two, three weeks here until uh, – the boys get out and film some tourist sauce. Uh, anyway, you can still find, we'll have lots of pods coming in the, the coming weeks. I got a really good one, a, a narrative pod that I was working on for quite a while. Uh, might be a subject that uh, you're familiar with me doing silly impressions of. Uh, so look forward to that in, uh, in about a 10 days. We got a Brian Harmon interview coming up. That's all he did before uh, Sony and before century that I think is really, really good. KVV, uh, we didn't uh, talk about the Brian Harmon video. Did you see the, the video of him take? I did not oh, see it. TC was, was, livid about oh, this saying like, that it, it, it was it, like 15 practice chips he went up oh, and down man. had to have been seven eight nine waggles it was wild it was That's wild tough. i watched it a couple times and kept watching the flag to make sure it wasn't uh-huh. somebody just looping it. <laughs> somebody yeah, looping yeah, yeah. it it was just it was it was <laughs> wild that is that that was a that was the video of a man that did not want to hit that golf shot and he didn't hit a great <laughs> golf shot i was not surprised by that <laughs> All right. Well, we'll perhaps there'll be more Brian Harmon commentary uh, next week. But uh, thanks, Megan. You know, uh, I always love sitting and talking about literally anything with you. So I uh, appreciate you sticking up and, uh, and you know, fighting through some technical difficulties here. With my We're here. Time. We're oh, here, baby. Awesome. Uh, I'll talk to you next week. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most! Expect anything.